0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere.
1: I'm Amina Tuso, and I'm Ann Friedman. Hey, Ann
0: Friedman. Hey, Amina Tuso. Are you ready to keep talking about food justice?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited to talk about food justice. Tell me.
0: So, this episode is pulling out the lens a little bit to talk about the ways that food justice and activism around this issue kind of fits into like the bigger picture of community aid, working and being in community with unhoused and marginalized people. And I also really feel like this episode is rooted in a friendship connection. Later, we're going to chat with Melissa Acidera, who is the founder of a mobile food bank called Polo's Pantry. And I really admire the work that she's doing for a couple of reasons. Like one is that she comes to her activism from a place of personal joy and interest. Food is something that is so near and dear to her and brings her so much joy. And the way she got into helping and being of service and being in community with people is through that. She was like just taking she was taking classes in health and food prep and things like that. And then really kind of over time realized what a need there is here in Los Angeles for better systems to serve people who are currently struggling to not just be fed and healthy but you know to have housing and to have health care and all these other issues and what i love about her work is that she has really maintained this lens of food we talk a lot about how overwhelming it can be to just kind of like see in the social media scroll or see in the news headlines how bad stuff is in literally every aspect <laughs> of like the world and like see how we so thoroughly fail to provide for people and she's someone who really comes to mind as saying like okay you know what actually, there are tons of other issues in this world, but I'm going to kind of really dig in on this one aspect and do it in an ongoing way. And that is how I'm going to show up and be of service. And so one thing that she noticed through her activism with um, unhoused communities in Los Angeles is that, you know, the pandemic has obviously greatly disrupted a lot of the ways that people normally access, like food and services if they are unhoused. But not only that, it has really increased the numbers of people who need those services. And she very quickly clocked that it is not usually very convenient or feasible for people to get themselves to a physical food bank location if they are unhoused. And so she devised this mobile food bank, essentially, to bring meals to people who need them. And, you know, she works in community with a lot of other organizations. It's not like she's just like on her own, a woman with a van, although I I get the sense that that's a strong aspect of her work. So hers is also a story about being responsive to the conditions that we're seeing as a result of total mismanagement of this pandemic.
1: Uh, I love when you do the interview. So, of course, I'm (laughs) excited to listen to it. The other thing
0: I have to say at the outset is that, um, you know, Melissa and I have a personal connection. We have some mutual friends, which is how we met years ago. And um, so we really have like, we really had a kind of a true phone a friend style meandering conversation. Yes. Yeah. So, so um, I just, I want to prepare listeners that it's, it might not feel like, I'm interviewing an activist specifically about like their mobile food bank. It really is a, you know, much more meandering chat about the justice work that she does and how she plugs into this specific community. And I know it is very Los Angeles specific, but um one thing that feels so so valuable to me is that the work that she's doing is really generated by her own passion, her own roots that she has built. You know, not not like, you know, decades and decades of roots, but like in the past few years roots that she's built with her community. And so, I just want to encourage listeners who are hearing this to um if if what she talks about sounds great, you know, google mutual aid groups in their area or find out if a food bank nearby is doing um, this kind of like mobile drop-offs, or like do a little bit more research about not just who the Melissa Asadera and their community is, or where what the Polos Pantry and their community is, but um, you know finding finding the really specific um, groups and people who they might be able to plug into. Because I think, um, yeah, it is it is it's helpful to hear a specific story. I think to to figure out exactly where to plug in, as opposed to hearing in in big picture terms about the numbers of. Um, you know,
1: unhoused people or the numbers of people going hungry. I just love, um, I love hearing from people who um, know how daunting, um, you know, fixing the world is and still just pick one very specific lane and do their best. So this is, this is really cool.
0: Me too. Love it. Okay. Here is Melissa first, I would love to hear you talk about, you know, five years ago, or, you know, before this work was really such a central part of your life. Mm -hmm. What did your days and weeks look like? And was it sort of a slow transition to being so, you know, daily, weekly, constantly active in food justice? Or, or was there a moment where things really changed overnight?
2: For sure, like five years ago, I really started to shift working in food compliance and like research basically wanting to be more involved in community health and public health stuff. And I started to get more involved in nonprofits who do a lot of culturally relevant sort of food workshops around LA. And so I started to understand food in different ways. And yeah, just kind of got super curious. i was going to like health conferences and the progression was slow but i i knew i was hunting for it i'm like there's got to be some way for me to plug in with a skill set that i have to make an impact when i met outreach groups doing this work in Skid Skidrow is when co- that, that completely shifted mm-hmm. that's that's when i was like okay this is this is where i want to be mm-hmm. i scaled down my interests and kind of like trying to understand the academics of health and the really really doing more groundwork in 2017, when I started to like, literally make breakfast burritos in my kitchen and going out on Saturday mornings <laughs> with a like, with, with crew and like handing them out. And that's when really like I started to turn because I started to see in person what was happening in Skid Row, not just in food, but like public health wise, just so many things just kind of colliding. And it, it, it mattered that I saw it in person. It mattered that I had a team of people to bounce ideas off of so that we could figure out different ways to, to build support. You know, making homemade meals for folks out in Skid Row. That was beautiful. I was doing that for like months. But I felt, I started to feel like there was something else that was lacking. I love what we were doing, but I felt like this isn't enough. Like, I'm happy to be going out there. And, and giving a hot meal that I love to make for folks and making them feel like loved and cared for. But there's got to be another piece that we can do because I was like, this isn't enough. Something's got to change for them. Like, if, There's got to be people out there actively trying to figure out the policy and everything else that's attached to why the city has failed our unhoused neighbors.
0: For people who are listening to this far from LA or who are kind of far from this work, um, maybe you can talk a little bit about Services Not Sweeps and explain you know, what is Services Not Sweeps.
2: I think at this point, we're a coalition of about 40 plus different organizations. We came together about two years ago, basically creating a demand for the city, you know, to provide different services for unhoused neighbors and basically just not use criminalization and, and sweeps. To take care of you know our homeless problem in Los Angeles. So sweeps
0: meaning like literally clearing away places where people have um, been living. Correct.
2: Yes, yes. In the beginning, it really was us just as a coalition of different organizations in Los Angeles coming together, and it's like based on the expertise of, of different folks within the coalition that we came up with the list of demands because homeless is not going to go away anytime soon. And we just want to make it easier and also just better for our neighbors to be able to just survive while we figure out the housing solution for it. Mm-hmm. And and all that it was a model created to and really led by a lot of unhoused leaders within our coalition, because a lot of our work is also informed by them very much. That includes my work, for mm-hmm. sure, and food. And we're still continuing right now, where a lot of our work is sometimes will be attached to efforts like you know from from blm or from you know from different folks so it's evolved so much especially under covid i i personally feel like the city has become more harsh Mm. to our unhoused neighbors and that's just been like a nightmare to try to fight that's why i think i've also been very vocal of politicians not you know putting their names all over food distribution because Mm. That's almost like virtue signaling, like, oh, I'm this good person. But, like, no, you literally, like, are pushing for sweeps and, and almost, like, violent acts against unhoused community. But then you're going to tell the community that you're, you know, that you're trying to feed them on one hand. And then, you're, you know, you're not caring um, in the other. And so it's almost like food distribution to me it feels like such a patchwork way for politicians to make themselves look better. And, I mean, who can say no to that, right? Who can say no to, like... You're not doing a good thing you for giving someone like a hot meal or like, you know, a bag of groceries. But I feel like historically politicians, especially in local government, have used that just so that, you know, they don't do their job.
0: I have received more than one flyer in my mailbox from a politician mm-hmm. with a photo of them, you know, standing over like a hot tray of food. And it's really interesting because it's not lost on me what you say is like, you know, they're not doing like clean needle distribution on these flyers. You know what I mean? They are not... Um, <laughs> They are not sharing the finer points of, you know, collaborating with unhoused people about when street cleaning happens. And yeah, maybe you could speak to that a little bit too. I mean, so you do this aspect of mutual aid work, of social justice work that is like, I think can be perceived as, like, kind, gentle, apolitical, you know, um, (laughs) safe, in other words, right? Like, you know, like, literally feeding the homeless is, like, one of these things where, you know, Mm -hmm. like, who's going to argue with that? Like, who's going to take issue with that? And I'm so curious about how you... As someone who clearly situates yourself in a much more radical place <laughs> than that, how you, how you do hold people who want to support the work that you do, but maybe not the holistic kind of, you know, system of activism you're plugged into. How do you bring those people along or maybe hold them accountable?
2: For me, it's important for people to see what's really going on, going on out there. In order to be fully radicalized, I feel like you have to experience it yourself in a way. And so I almost feel like I want to create these spaces that feel safe for people to enter first. At the top of COVID, I created a first responder sort of COVID-19 project with a partner organization called Eikes. We start like a volunteer network of folks since we were all sheltered in place. And so basically people who want to make meals at home and then partnering them with volunteer drivers. And so we started to create this network of folks cooking at home and then starting to build like a logistics like of volunteer drivers picking up those meals. And a lot of people who never were in this sort of work started to get involved. And so that feels like a nice step. So now we're trying to develop programming that will help our volunteers understand what it is they're connecting to. And so that means... More information and stats about homelessness in LA. We we're getting a lot of curious folks wanting to understand what's happening. What I, what am I connected to? And I feel like that's what this program, like beautifully, has done. The urgency for me too to create this program was because everything shut down. So that meant restaurants um, that were able to provide us with excess food couldn't do that anymore, and some other nonprofits or charities that could no longer run their soup kitchens. And so I said, oh my God, we're going to have a complete off of food access for Unhoused. And that's what happened. I tell this to people all the time, like, you know, um, people always say like, hey, Nadya, you're doing such incredible work, whatever, but like they don't understand what drives me is that I've seen some stuff that really, really like haunts me every day. <laughs> like I'll be like laying in bed and, l- and remembering the things I've seen and how are elected people who really can change things on a bigger scale aren't doing enough and almost like i feel like i wish that they could see it the way myself and other activists and folks on the ground can see it because it's scary and like Mm. seeing kids with their parents living in a tent or seeing young children in in rvs um with their parents like these are the voices and faces and haunt me every single day. And they're like, you're always doing something. I'm like, how can you not? You know? So I think a huge part of, of our work now is it's important for us to show the city of LA that, you know, there's another way to end this. There's another way to figure out solutions for this. And I think our model is, it feels, for me at least, I'm happy that I'm part of the coalition because again, a lot of our, Solution building are led by unhoused leaders at the front. That has to be the way we should do it.
0: Let's take a quick break. I would love for you to tell me about when you started Polo's Pantry and what Polo's Pantry does. And then I would love to hear more about how that has evolved so quickly.
2: I started Polo's Pantry in 2018 and um, really got involved with like the operations part of it, where I saw that like our budget was just being eaten up by food. And so then I started to, you know, research and figure out who we could partner with to get food, um, donated food to us and have it, be consistent every Saturday or every week, and so then it just it just grew organically. I would meet with my friend Glenn Carado, who's the founder of World Harvest Food Bank, and so he started connecting me to other folks, and so that that's how my my network grew for polos. Is that you know like it's like, hey, I can help you out with like you know a pallet of produce here and there, but like I have a friend here who runs his farm, or I have a friend here who you know who who also does food rescuing that can help you with like bread and all those other stuff, and so. It was, yeah, it was like slowly building that network. Like I just really love to pinch on those things because like I know if my parents were able to make us, to like survive on, you know, on meals for like 20 bucks, there's gotta be a way for me to be able to figure this out. And so having that mindset, I think has made me also sort of like efficient in finding resources. Even the way I think of my org, I structure it like a family. I named it after my dad, who passed away, like, 15 years ago. And so it's almost just sort of like a honoring him and honoring just, you know, the the work of the women in my family and really using food as a structure, as a connection and as a bridge. And I'm going to continue to do it that way. I don't want posts to ever feel, like, detached from what's really happening for folks. I feel like sometimes the structure of, like, modern sort of Food banks, um, even giants like Feeding America, which do incredible work, but they feel so, like, far removed, you know? It feels like you can't see the rewards of your work at the end of the day. I feel like when you're cooking something for someone you love, like, for you, it feels good. Like, immediately, the reward is there, being able to, like, see them and just feel like they're nourished. And I feel like that's what I want to keep doing with my work is I don't want that to ever feel far from the work for volunteers, for folks helping run the org, that has to always feel like that—that's close. I'm hoping that it's—it's it's a good way to sort of like inspire other people to build something like this, you know? Maybe not similar, but something—you know—something you know, something that works for their neighborhood. I just figured out what worked for me, you know, what worked for the people that I that I serve. Because I think, you know, like all of us, like I I was getting a lot of imposter syndrome. Like, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, am I doing it right? Like, am I like, you know, like I, it took a lot of work. I love
0: that imposter syndrome even exists in like, (laughs) in in mutual aid. work. How is this coming up everywhere?
2: (laughs) It does. Because honestly, like, sometimes I'm like, I've only been in this game for like five years, three years. And you, you, you get sort of insecure about that. You know, you get insecure about, like, your experience, I guess, or your know-how. But I think what I want to encourage people is there are so many things. For me, I feel like all the jobs, all the volunteer work, all the, even, like, the little workshops that I would do at, like, LACMA or something, (laughs) like, just something creative or even like this, you know, the street team stuff that I did in college for like music publications. They almost became my Rolodex of skills that I've had to pull from to run this. You know, so I have I have experience of like doing street, you know, street team stuff, and so that also has influenced my way of like organizing outreach teams, right? For any young people sort of hearing me right now, and I hope you, I hope you hear this, if you, have, if you have access to those things and being able to build your skill set, do it. And even like you think that something as far as like, you know, even creating art or like building stuff out, it's not far from this work at all, especially in social justice, because if your skill set is just focused on a certain part of social justice, then you're not able to connect you know what I mean, to other groups or to other people, right? Like, I feel like you almost have to understand how to speak the language in different ways. Like, for me, I love creatives. Like, I, I mean, like, I, a lot of my friends are creatives and, like, just all that stuff. And so I've been able to sort of bring that community in, too. They're like, hey, how can we help? I know I can, you know, I can just do graphic design or whatever. But, like, you know what? They've run, like, fundraisers for us, you know what I mean? you know, I I just been reflecting on imposter
0: syndrome. And I think that um, people who are maybe not currently doing mutual aid work, or people who do want to get more involved in advocating with and for the unhoused community in in their city or town, Mm -hmm. there can feel like this big barrier to entry of like, okay, who's doing it right, I have to find the right person and the right way to plug in and figure out exactly which of my skills to use. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think for people who do not have any maybe not deep roots in their community yet. Or maybe they don't, you know, like have a friend like you that they can go to and be like, you know what, I I I might not be super plugged in, but I know someone who is. You know, that's not true of everyone. And and I would love to hear some advice for those people who are listening who are hearing what you're saying and are like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but um but, you know, not feeling very knowledgeable about their own community in this particular
2: way. Honestly, it really Really, again, just kind of start small because you know, building your community around this I think people have to really be patient, you know what I mean, the issue of homelessness is so complex, it's so huge, and folks who are new to it can feel really like just intimidated, but start small if like you love you know cooking, like just look for a group, you know, if you love to do graphic design, if you love to create. Any kind of messaging on social media, if you're good at that, or any, anything like that. I would say start local, because there's always someone, and now especially as, as movements grow across, the, like just really across the nation, there's got to be someone there that's already doing the work. If there isn't somebody, I would say, you know, start with maybe, like, volunteering at your local food bank, or volunteering with, if you're comfortable, like, usually churches too have a, have a lot of avenues in this sort of work. 'Cause usually folks who go and help in those places usually already have a network plugged in. And just being open. Just just be open to speaking to folks who already have some knowledge on, on doing this. And just be you know, just be bold and ask for things. <laughs> just be like, hey, this is what I do. Like, you know, how how where can I help? And I think like sometimes you won't have a like a friend who is plugged in, but there's gotta there's gonna be someone. You're gonna land on somebody who will help you find that connection for you. But I think what's really important, and I think that's why I I want to encourage people to really understand themselves and what what they want to do because we definitely want to keep people in the movement. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that, you have to be doing something that feels meaningful for you and feels like you, I think. The reason why I feel like I'm so passionate about what I'm doing now and and I feel like that's why I have so much energy from it is because I feel like it's me. Like, I feel like, I feel like everything that I do is me. Start with what you love. And then from there, figure out how you can, you know, use your gifts to like help other people. And also just something simple, like talk to your unhoused neighbor. Like that to me for like people, sometimes it's so, it's so simple, but like just breaking that, you know, just breaking that wall breaking ideas for yourself and even just how you're raised to think about homelessness, investigate that too. What does that mean? What have you been told by your parents or like other people of who like, you know, the demographic of homeless, the homeless community understand your, you know, like your bias or anything else that you feel like, why haven't you talked to your unhoused neighbor, but you know, just change that and just say, hi, you know, how are you? you know and sometimes you can like show up with like maybe a bottle of water or like if you're getting your cup of coffee in the morning get an extra cup and just give it to your friend you know but like build that relationship because sometimes that honestly can change someone's life it has i've heard so many stories but it changes you too you know what i mean and that's important
0: I do think this is rooted in
2: what you were saying
0: about extending um, extending yourself on a personal level to all of your neighbors. Um, for, for me, the, the answer to all of this feels like it's kind of rooted in that. And you, know, you had some really nice concrete examples of introduce yourself or maybe offer a bottle mm-hmm. of water or that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I wonder if you have a little pep talk for people who are like, okay, that's where I'm going to start. <laughs> I really am going to know by name all of my neighbors. You know, in terms of like how to kind of work up the courage to do that because i do think it takes courage when we are socialized that people who are unhoused are so different yeah
2: yeah and and i think like i'll just think about even just like my mom too how i've kind of radicalized her a little bit just because you know she's had all these different ideas but now she's like (laughs) now she's helping me almost like fight little fights that i have within our family from other family members who also feel a certain (laughs) way about, you know, unhoused folks. And so it's really kind of interesting to see that. And I also have to, you know, be mindful too of like, yes, we're also not you know completely void of uh, situations that can be dangerous, right? Um, We obviously don't recommend certain things like say, like, if you're doing outreach in Skid Row, we don't want people to go out by themselves, especially if they're like, you know, heading out food and stuff like that. You know, we recommend there's, you know, um, folks, like, go in pairs or whatever. But I think, again, if you feel scared or if you feel, like, intimidated, again, just ask. Do the research. Ask someone who's been doing it for a while and ask them, like, hey, how do I do this? You know? Or how can I do this better? And and just start from there. You know what I mean? You can never ask too many questions, I feel like, in this. Like, if there are things that you want to know, just find someone doing the work and ask them just because I feel like it's important for us to keep shifting because of course there, you know, like every day there are situations where it's going to be dangerous and difficult and depending on how people are feeling that day, but that shouldn't keep us from wanting to, to help or move forward or help find solutions for people living on the street. And people are like, even my mom's like, Hey, you know, like, are you guys going to like, you know, like solve homelessness or whatever, like by doing this. And I'm like, you know, honestly, I mean, in my lifetime, probably not. I don't think we're completely going to eradicate it, but if we can move the needle, you know, like further into just actually getting services and help that really will make their lives better, you know, that's huge. And I feel like that's what we've been doing. You know, we've been able to do that. Um, the work that's happening with racial justice and, and stuff as well, and protests, that too is not too far from this work, you know, we're, we're, we're really trying to just show that this is all bridged, that this that this fight is for everybody, you know what I mean? We have to link arms in this just because it's, you know, it it, it if we're able to, we, we can't just be fighting just for one piece, because for me too, like, when I fight for free justice, it's not just that piece, like... There's so many other things attached to it. So, you know, it feels daunting to kind of try to learn all of that. But just be curious. One thing, too, I, I, I want to just mention is the, a lot of the books on my nightstand are currently are reading about history of food activism, and mostly, like, you know, folks like the Black Panthers, Fannie um, Lou Hamer. I've been studying them because this isn't new. <laughs> Anything that I'm doing now, or anything the coalition is doing now, it's not new. Um, Polos is, is for me, I, I model it a little bit from what the Panthers did, where you know they had the free breakfast for children program. And the way they were able to plug in and feed that many children is because they plugged into community leaders and folks already doing the work. It's like, don't reinvent the wheel in different neighborhoods or. or or going to spaces because there's already someone in there. There's a community. There's already someone there that's already doing the work, and so you go in there and support them. Figure out how to support them because every neighborhood has different needs. Every neighborhood has different wants and resources. And so, again, I think I keep trying to tell people we we can't have this rigid idea of what a solution to homelessness is you have to break free of that you know but then just find locally find someone who's been doing their work already and talk to them what has worked for them and then just plug in that way and that feels less intimidating because you can start there it feels simple because you can just make that one connection and then just keep building with each other from there
0: I want to do a little bit of a lightning round. Okay. Um, you already mentioned books that are on your nightstand. Yes. Um, I want to know uh, what you were cooking for yourself or maybe something you've eaten lately that's brought you a lot of pleasure.
2: Ooh, okay. So, well, basically it's like my childhood favorite. It's a Filipino dish called sinigang and it's like a tamarind based like soup base, a tamarind soup-based stew. So you can basically use any kind of meat in it like seafood or whatever. Um, and sinigang is just like home to me. And so making that and making it like my grandma's style is like the most nourishing thing I can do for myself.
0: Amazing answer. Um, I, I would also love to hear about a movie or a TV show or an album or something in that realm that you have loved lately.
2: Ooh, these are so good. I, my, t- my tastes are very eclectic. So I feel like my playlist changed a lot lately, but I, okay. So I am a huge Jade Dilla fan. And so sometimes when I need to like relax and things have been a crazy day, girl, I will like drive the stretch of like Wilshire all the way to the beach. So it's like coming from downtown, I go all the way to the beach and I will like play Dilla's donuts like throughout the entire ride. And that helps me sort of like (laughs) de-stress. And it's interesting because it's like, you know, being an L.A. native, just kind of see how the city changes just through that main artery of L.A. And having, like, my favorite, you know, like, one of my favorite artists. It's just like, t- ugh, that's just so nourishing to me, too, just thinking about, I'm going to do that today. Like, I, <laughs> I just said that, that album, like... um it's just yeah, I love that album so much.
0: And my final question is um what is making you feel hopeful lately?
2: Wow, very easy question to answer. All the youth-led organizations that have been hitting me up. Almost every day, like I get an email from a college student or a high school student asking me, "Hey, how do I like I love what you do. I found you on Instagram. How do I like how do I get involved? How do I do this?" And so young folks are getting curious. About food justice and just just to be able to make change, and so there's a group called Venice Culver Helps, and they were a group of high school students from Venice and Culver City High, and they found my Instagram, sent me a DM. They're like, "Mosa, we're starting this thing, and we really need help, like you know, just getting food." And so, and they they like had everything down. They had like the Zoom call set up. They had all sorts of stuff. They had their, you know their list ready. All I had to do was tell them, like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's get you some food. And so, like, we've had our second food distribution in Clover City, and they're set up right next to an encampment underneath, like, the 405. Girl, I don't have to do anything. I literally would show up, you know, like, in my vehicle with, like, food. All they do is grab it, and they're, I'm just watching them. I'm like, okay, do your thing. And so, I think... Yeah. I think folks need to know that our youth are really like we're in good hands. They are thinking about solutions with us. They are watching what we do and, you know, again, trying to make the world a better place. And so, yes, they are the ones that make me hopeful. So.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love that. What a, what a note to end on. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Oh yeah. Thank you for having me. Ah, that was great, Melissa. A woman with a van. I love it. Ah, uh, I know. Truly, I mean,
0: I mean, I feel like all kinds of like um, '90s empowerment, like a woman on the move, like that. You know, like, like that <laughs> totally, it totally applies to her to the work that she's doing. If you want to directly support Polo's Pantry, you can send a Venmo to at Polo's Pantry. That's P-O-L-O-S dash try. You can also find her on Instagram and Twitter. polospantry.org is the website. I also encourage listeners to, to google community fridges, food banks and mobile pantries in their area and also mutual aid groups who are really likely to be plugged into where there is a need.
1: Put your money where your values are. Love to see it. I will see you right here next week and I will see you on the internet in the meantime. See you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714 681 2943. That's 714 681 CYGF. You can email us callyrgf at gmail.com our theme song is by Robin original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs our logos are by Kanisha Need. we're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf our producer is Jordan Bailey and this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac